So, Russell. Jelly. Level with me. How is it that Shifty Jelly makes so much money from their apps? Ooh, you want to ask the million-dollar question is where does all the money come from? And I have to deny all mafia allegations and everything else, yeah? Wait, is is it actually a literally a million-dollar question? Like, is there actually a million dollars involved in this? Uh, in the answer to this question? Yeah, so it's actually more than a million dollars. Wow. And the, the only reason I tell you that is because we were in a uh, Google Play developer video thing where they're like, dee, 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 dee. you know, they had the stock music and there's us playing volleyball and stuff. And then we gave out some sales figures. So you have to hunt down that video if you want to find out exactly how much. And did, was there a picture of you with money raining down, like cash, cold hard cash? No, so sadly it was a video and we couldn't get hold of that amount of currency to throw up in the air. But it would have been fun. Yeah. I would have enjoyed that. All right. How do you think you've managed like that sort of success? Because that's not normal for... I mean, it's not a normal thing for developers to like be able to create a product like that and then for it to you know make millions of dollars. That's actually like the exception. So, is there a business model that you have that you are uh, that you think has brought you that success? I I think there is. It's it's a combination of things. But okay, let me start from the beginning. So, I, I think the the genesis of it is we were there in two thousand and eight. You know, at the birth of the App Store, we were you know in the store only about. A month or two after it launched. So I think that helped. We were there in the early days when, you know, there was only three hundred, you know, apps in the store and even yep. a few months later there was only a few thousand. And it was it was really easy to get noticed. You know, we happened to make an Australian weather app that, you know, went to number one in the store. And that gave us the initial kick. You know, money started coming in. We kind of saw that this was a serious thing that we could start doing. And I guess initially when we started we had no sort of idea of what was going to happen or whether we were going to make money. But two years into it, when we went full time, you know, Philip and I sat down and we thought, here's some things that that we want to do to, I don't know about ensure future success, but just make sure that we kind of stick to the right track. And a few of those things are that we always wanted to, like number one, value our apps, how much we thought they were worth. So we decided then and there that we were never going to, you know, give away our apps. We were never going to have advertising in our apps. We were always going to try and say that, you know, if our app is worth $4, then it's worth $4. You know, we're never going to put it on sale. Um, We're never going to devalue it. We're never going to, you know, do anything else like that. It's always $4, you know, whether you log in, you know, today or in six months. And the the only way we're going to change the price is if it goes up. So I think Pocket Cast actually started life at $2 and then a few years in it became $4. And so, I mean, you, you could emulate all those things and not be successful, but that's that's something we sort of did from day one. And I guess the other part of, you know, our more recent success is that we actually went to a different platform. Like I hate to, to mention the word Android again, but really... <laughs> You know, you know, from 2013 onwards, the majority of, uh, you know, of all the money that we earned has come from the Android platform. And I think you see a lot of iOS developers now, you know, struggling in the space and trying to figure out how to compete in a crowded marketplace. And I think, you know, one way that we, we sort of compete is we, you know, we've hired a few extra people and we're now cross-platform. So we make money on iOS, you know, we make money on Android. Um, we even more recently make money on Windows Phone. So I think it all kinds of, kind of adds up. And I guess, you know, you can call it luck or you can call it really good planning. But just the fact that we're, you know, we're here today, we've got five employees, we're, you know, on all these different platforms. And, you know, I'd like to think that we're making really good apps as well. That's obviously a part of it. Is that the longest answer ever to a 
very short question. That is that is a very long answer, but it's a very thorough answer. I think that's the end of the show. Boom. No. Uh, okay, goodbye. <laughs> uh, so, okay. As part of that, you just, you said that you never, you, you never want to give away your apps. You're, you, you know, always, always going to sell them for like an upfront cost for what you think they're worth, right? And I mean, there's a bunch of different models for that, you know, that cover that sort of freemium, premium, paid, like upfront, et cetera, type, you know, approaches to selling apps. Do you, do you think that free apps don't work or, or is that like or, or is there something else to that? No, I think free apps definitely work. Like if your sole uh, goal is to make money, uh, then you can make a free app and, you know, you can sell jams in it or you can sell some other kind of in-app purchases. I don't think those business models are magically invalid. I mean, you only have to look at the the top grossing list in the store to realize that uh, that's the way, you know, a lot of people make money these days. But guess we're i don't know we have this thing where that we're very old-fashioned like i feel like if i give you my app for free and then i ask you for money later that it's almost devaluing my app a little bit like it's saying to the user you know here's here's something for free you know you can use our server resources you can you know i might have spent six months on it but you know you, you can do this this and this without paying us a cent and you know by the way if you want some premium features or you want you know whatever else you have to pay us more and that i don't know that's always felt weird to me and i know that's not the current thinking. I'm, I'm sure that most developers now are, are looking at freemium within our purchase. But I mean, one, it's something I have no experience with. But two, it's something I've never felt comfortable with. Like I don't like the idea of, you know, you jelly download my app and then six months later, you know, you get some kind of pop-up or something that says, hey, you know, we'd like more money. It just, I don't know, something about it just feels weird. Like I like the cleanliness of you paid $4, you have our app and, you know, you have it for at least two, three, four years until potentially there's some kind of paid update for it right so i mean on the other on the flip side i have a free app Uh, it's available with in-app purchases and i mean i i wouldn't say that i'm anywhere near as successful as as you guys i don't think i've ever seen a million dollars at all even over the course of my programming career but I think that, like, I think the thinking that I kind of went into it with, right, was that, you know, there's this whole idea of try before you buy, but more so there is a certain amount of functionality that you can provide that doesn't actually incur any additional cost on you. So, I mean, as a, as an example, at this point, the free version of GifWrap doesn't actually provide any sort of uh, server infrastructure that is owned by me. I don't have anything that helps you to send GIFs out or anything like that. So there's no, like, I, I for people out there using the free version of the app, they're not costing me money other than the fact that I've already developed the time that I've used to develop the app. And I guess the, the, the reason that I incorporated in-app purchases in the, to begin with was because, oh, I mean, I have to make money somehow that I can't not may have people pay for the app at all. I have to, you know, have to make money from it somehow. So the first thing that I did was add ads because I, th- I don't necessarily think that ads bother people these days. Uh, at least certainly doesn't seem that way. Um, people will buy anything if they think that it's good, regardless of whether it has ads or not. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've seen a lot of people use app, apps that have ads down the bottom and it doesn't seem to... To affect them. The one thing I wonder about with ads, though, is unless you get, you know, hundreds of thousands of people using your app, can you actually make money from from just ads? All right. So, uh, real talk, Gifwrapped has probably around 18,000 active users every month, and it probably makes about, in a month, it probably makes about maybe, oh, geez, it wouldn't, I don't even think it'd be 50 bucks. 
out of ads. Oh, and those 18,000 people all see ads? Like, have some of them paid to remove them or is this just... So, some of them have paid to remove them. Okay. And there there is an in-app purchase that specifically removes the ads. And theoretically, not all of those people are seeing them, but then also not all of the people have actually you know paid for that in-app purchase. So... The, the, I, I don't feel like there's a huge amount of uh, – I'm making a huge amount of money from the ads. I'm Well, I'm not making a huge amount of money for, from the ads. <laughs> yeah, I think we can, uh, we can maybe objectively say that. So I have a question about that. So which makes more money, the in-app purchase to remove the ads or the ads themselves? Ooh, actually, that's a good question. So last year, uh, it made more from removing ads than it did from seeing ads. And this year – it's roughly the same amount, actually. It's roughly the same ratio. See, that's interesting. I guess the, the one benefit of ads are that even if your sales happen to drop off or if people stop buying the in-app purchase, as long as you've still got you know all these active users using your apps, then they're all kind of still seeing the ads. But I feel like you need a decent amount of volume. Like if you if you had to plan out GIFWrapped and say, you know, for this to be sustainable, I need X amount of users. Like, how how big do you reckon that user base would have to be? See, I think there's a com- I think that's a complex question. It's not just a matter of okay, like if I could expand my uh, my user base exponentially until I was making enough money. I don't necessarily think that that is uh, the only way of of increasing that number. <laughs> there are there are slightly more kind of sleazy and oily. Oily, that's the word I'm going to use because that's how it feels. <laughs> uh, tactics that I could technically use to probably drive up my uh, drive up my margins as far as ads are concerned. So currently the ads are, are situated in the kind of main area. Uh, so you kind of see them uh, when you're looking at a list of uh, a list of gifts in the app. And that's across essentially the whole app. Theoretically, I feel like if I put the ad inside of like a preview or showed an ad as part of the process for you know sharing a gif that would probably drive up the views and likely the taps clicks i think it's clicks but it's technically taps for, of the ads and so therefore my revenue right except i feel dirty like that would feel really dirty so i think there's kind of like a i draw a line there but i don't necessarily think that everybody does and in fact there are articles out there on the internet telling you how you could uh how you can theoretically kind of drive up your you know your ad numbers and uh and make more money that way and but i i just while a lot of people clearly don't have a problem with having an app that has ads through all through it and you know dealing they can just deal with it i feel dirty about it like it it feels dirty to me and i don't want to do it so you know i mean i i feel exactly the same way and yeah i i do wonder whether some developers you know sit there with all the statistics and they're right they think okay so for this month i'm gonna put my ad here and i'm gonna put it in between this and this and then they just look at raw numbers like did the amount of clicks or taps or whatever increase did it decrease and then they start kind of modifying you know all their apps based on that and i think that makes for some really what what word did you slimy oily? I, I said oily yeah that makes for some really like oily apps is you're you're optimizing for your revenue sure that's a good thing but you're also you're discarding like user experience completely you're just saying what gets me the most amount of taps don't care if they're accidental taps you know, don't care if, but you know, people are tapping angrily or happily or whatever, like just whatever gets me more taps right now wins. And yeah, I really don't think that's a, 
that's a good way to develop apps. But I kind of think that brings us to an interesting thing. See, for us, if, I mean, we have five people that work for us. If, if we release like a brand new app and let's say it's six months in and if that app's not making, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, that's probably a failure for us because, you know, we've invested probably more than that just in, in costs of development. So, you know, office space and people costs. You know, you've got, yeah. that's probably our number one cost is just paying people. You know, we pay, we try and pay everyone, you know, what they're worth and a decent salary. And if that's your benchmark for success, then suddenly our apps have to, you know, they have to make hundreds of thousands of dollars each. They have to perform a lot better, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, if, you, if you're like, you know, you're like you and you're at home and your costs are a bit lower and you're only paying yourself, then probably the, I mean, the, the benchmark for what's a successful app versus what's not is probably a lot lower. And then you go to right. someone... Um, like Adobe, I met some people from there a few years ago and their benchmark for success is, you know, can our thing make $23 million a year? And if it can't make $23 million a year, then then why are we putting it in the store at all? And that's it's all these different levels of, you know, what does success, you know, mean to you? I mean, what, what would you say gift wrapped would have to make before you'd consider it, yeah, this is successful, I can go on and do something else or I can, you know, expand it or... So currently I wouldn't consider gift wrap successful. I mean, it kind of is. It's definitely my most successful app to date uh, and it's got a lot of promise to it. In order for it to be like truly successful, it would need to make uh, at least enough to like to cover the time that I spend on it in my uh, in my mind. And given that I spend, I mean, let's assume that I spend three months out of a year uh, developing, uh, just working on new versions of GIF Wrapped. Three months out of the year is a long time. And I mean, for a developer who could, I mean, I could go out there and I could make, you know, 90K a year quite easily. So divide that by four. And that's not even developing. That's just, you know, spending some time at the red light district or something like that. <laughs> Indeed, but if you if you take that if you take that and divide that up, right? It's you know, I if I made twenty thousand ish a year from gift wrapped, that would probably be successful. Like that would actually be covering its costs, covering any you know any time that I spent on it, uh, and I would I like that. But that for you would be uh, completely and utterly like failure because it's not making enough money to cover itself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because I mean, we have more people to pay, we have more costs. You know, we work out of an office. You know, in the city and. You know, that doesn't come cheap and there's a whole bunch of, you know, other costs that come with, you know, running a, a full-on company. And so there's, it's kind of two different levels. And I, I guess the interesting thing is, do you want to make an app that you're continually uh, spending time on or do you want to just make an app as a once-off, put it out there and just, you know, let it make $10 a day or $50 a month or whatever? That's probably not too bad if you're not constantly having to, to do things on it. But it feels like all the apps, you know, we work on, I just have to constantly, you know, work on, Philip has to constantly work on, them you know our other developer has to constantly keep them up to date we constantly have to you know support them and monica has to answer all the emails and you've got all the design that goes into every new version it's a lot of work like i, I assume gift wrap's the same like you feel like you constantly have to to do things to it to kind of stay on top of it right so i'm i'm constantly i mean i'm currently in the middle of uh, working on you know a new version that i plan on releasing before the next ios update and then having another version that's going to release roughly alongside of the next the next ios update so two versions between now and september ish so i mean what that we're talking about a lot of work there right and theoretically having done that it would be in a much better position it's kind of difficult at this point to kind of think about what it's like as a uh, as a, an app that's kind of sustaining itself not like financially but just kind of we're finished with the major up, the major development and now it's just patches and keeping it working and that sort of thing 
having no server side in like infrastructure means less less of that. I'm not constantly having to tweak the app in order to make sure that it's working alongside of the servers that I'm running and tweaking the servers so that you know that drops that significantly. But at the same time, it's still at this point is you know taking up a lot of my time. I mean, ideally, I'd like to. I, the next app that I, I develop and I'm kind of figuring out the details of what my next thing is going to be because I have to come like you know because I can't just stop with gift wrapped I have to come up with something now that I'm you know indie yeah no pressure also we've got to sec- secure the uh, exclusive here on topical right that's when you're going to when you're ready to announce that's the first place you're going to come well maybe we'll see oh come on you can't give it to those mobile couch people <sighs> Well, maybe we'll see. So the net, but the next thing, like ideally, will be something that is you know very similar, something that I can I can develop, put out there, doesn't rely on having you know having me needing to constantly update it, tweak it, work on it, and it's kind of hard to say that out loud, especially in a public setting like topical. Because every, anybody that hears that is going to say, well, he's going to, you know, he's going to spend the next three months working on his app and then he's just going to abandon it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've got to tell you, some, some people's bar for abandonment is very low. We sometimes get, your app hasn't right. been updated in three weeks. Is it abandoned? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Like, what is your benchmark for, like, we are no longer working on something? So, I, I mean, I... I think for me, like I'd like to get it to a point where I don't feel like there are any major bugs. There, are, it's kind of in a good situation, and then I could leave it for a while because I think I think spending too much time on it, even even if it sounds like it's, uh, you know, I think that you know, for for people using apps, they want to know that it's always being worked on. That the developer is always coming up with new ideas and new things to add to it, and ways of making it even better and more useful. And as a developer and designer and et cetera, sometimes the best way to come up with those ideas and the best way to actually come up with that stuff is to not be working on it, is to be is to sit it down and walk away from it for a, for a while and then come back to it because that's when you bring uh, you bring kind of fresh eyes. So I don't know. Where was I going with this story? <laughs> <laughs> I think what you were going to say, and I, I had an interesting sort of anecdote for you. You know, Philip and I, we sit down sometimes and we think, man, if we could just make an app with no server infrastructure whatsoever that only needs to be updated occasionally and is just, you know, evergreen, how amazing would that be? But we we always come back to the realisation that, you know, the fact that we, you know, have the entire server infrastructure, the fact that we spend so much on our apps, the fact that I feel like I'm rewriting you know, every app that I work on, you know, once or, you know, once a year probably is is also a competitive advantage. You know, the, the fact that we're spending all that time and, you know, other people aren't is kind of what, you know, sets us apart. And it's it's a hard thing. Like, do you do you just keep going with that? Like once something's been successful, do you just constantly rewrite it, constantly add new things to it, constantly keep it up to date? Or do you kind of say, well, you know, one day I'm going to need to do something else. You know, what's what's the next thing that I should be working on? And that's, man, this is a conversation that we have all the time. You know, what mm. should we be building next? Should we be building out Pocket Cast? Should we, you know, be adding stuff? Should we be working on something completely different? You know, these are some some really hard, you know, decisions to make. Well, I think probably the answer to that question, right, comes from different industries. I, and I'm going to step outside the app box, if you will. The app sandbox there's a developer joke Ooh, for you. Oh, I see what you do there. You step outside that and I think your process gets killed. Just <laughs> <in there. laughs> 
Right. So I'm going to do that, uh, but I'm going to look at... Uh, so, I mean, if you look at the way that, for instance, Pixar works, and granted, Pixar is a much, 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 much bigger company, but the way that they... Uh, the way that they kind of work is that they're they're always developing multiple things at the same time. They're not all at the same stage. So, uh, as an example, uh, you know they've had um, they've just recently released Inside Out, right? That's their latest movie at the time of recording, I guess. But that's been in development for f- five years now. Five years for a movie, and in that time, they've actually released a whole bunch of other movies. I think it wasn't even five years ago that I saw like. I, like I think they had like um, Brave in that time, and probably also, and probably also Toy Story three. Just off the top of my head, I haven't got not, I haven't got dates in front of me. Yeah, and some of the awful ones, Cars two, Planes. Maybe some of these they just shouldn't have released. Well, Planes isn't Pixar, so let's not get into that. The thing about the way that they work, though, is that uh, they have multiple projects on that are working in kind of in different states. And so it's about spending some time, some of your time, uh, or some of your people's time working on what's, you know, what's, you know, the most imminent thing. Um, so, you know, you have a release that's coming up in the next month and you want to make sure that most of your development time, work time is going to go into that because that's, you know, it's imminent. It's got to be finished by a set date. But at the same time, you can also be kind of at different stages with other things. I'm currently considering and coming up with the ne- the idea for my next uh, project and uh, you know that for that that for me doesn't entail sitting down at Xcode and you know tapping out a whole bunch of stuff and creating prototypes or anything like that. I mean, it can. I I mean, I was creating prototypes for something completely and utterly separate the other day. What it it just means is, I, I mean, I've got a notepad that's sitting kind of like right. It's sitting right here. So it's got a bunch of notes and a bunch of uh, sketches about you know things that I might be looking at developing next. What I'm going to do next, uh, you know, ideas for apps that you know may possibly see the light of day, may possibly not. And so I'm just kind of I'm putting stuff out on paper. I'm thinking about it. I'm making it so that it's real and something that I can look at uh, and something that can inspire me. And then I'm also bringing that back into the work that I'm doing with GIF Wrapped. Uh, that gives me ideas for things that I can be doing right now. Uh, it also like, and I can be at other stages. So, you know, previous, uh, last week I was, I did a couple of, uh, prototypes for some, for uh, a completely separate project that uh, is not my own, just in case anybody is wondering. So those prototypes also kind of fed back into, uh, fed back into gift wrap quite substantially. So I'm not tied to the idea that, you know, my next project is the only one that I work on. I, I I'm a big fan of the the whole balance thing and stepping away and taking taking a moment for something else and then coming back and having a, having fresh eyes. I think that is probably the most sustainable way to make apps, regardless of how like of where the money is coming from. Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely something to that. I mean, the the one caveat I would provide to that is that we've we found. I mean, we've been doing this full time. I think for about five years. We found that often. Planning more than say six months ahead is probably a waste of time. You know, if you're making a a big budget movie or a big budget game, you know, by all means, you have to take two or three years to to make those things. You've got to, you know, have the planning up front. You've got to have a few of them at once. I think in the app world, if you're kind of thinking about more than six months ahead, you're, you're probably kind of wasting that that planning time because no one really knows what the the situation is going to be like in six months. What the you know, the operating system landscape on the phone is going to look like in six months, even what, you know, other competing apps will be out there and when, you know, what will be kind of new and hip, you know, six months from now, GIFs might explode or 
six months from now, people might not care about gifts. I mean, there's there's really no way to to know that, and you just kind of have to keep on top of it. And you know, like you say, plan one or two things. You know, have some things in the background. I mean, I spent probably a month of last year, you know, building a Mac app that we never released. And one way you could look at that is, you know, hey, I wasted a, a month of my time. But you know, some of the source code that's in there and some of the concepts that we our prototype have since rolled out like into a lot of our other apps. So it's it's often good to try something else. You know, you might try something, you know, crazy. It might not work at all. But some of the things you learn from that, you know, project and some of the source code that that you write, you know, can be useful, you know, months, if not years later, which is kind of cool. Yeah. And I I think it's all it's all about balance, right? Everything comes down to balance with with that sort of an approach. Like you said, you know, in six months time it, it may be a different kind of a different world. Like that's definitely true. Like that's that's absolutely definitely true. You just have to look at how many apps kind of come out where you know, there's somebody somebody will respond with, "Oh, I was building something like that. I missed the you know I missed the boat." I mean, for starters, that's not a real thing. Just you know, if you were developing something like that, then keep on developing. It could be still better. That uh, that's not like you know one person's solution to a problem isn't the solution to a problem. It's a solution to a problem. Yeah. I- I kind of disagreed slightly though. You can you can definitely miss the boat. Like if if one app comes out and it's kind of like your app, no big deal. But sometimes you do have a huge wave of of apps. Like with iOS seven, we had a huge wave of new podcasting apps. And I kind of feel like if you didn't ride that wave, you know, six months or a year out, then it might actually be too late to to try and get in there. You know, you have to wait for a, some brand new operating system release where you can yeah. you know take advantage of features that other apps don't have. And that's the only way you can kind of get back in. Yeah, but that's kind of the same thing, right? Because, uh, you know, new operating system means new features. Um, if you were developing an app and somebody else releases something, you say, well, you know, dang, I, you know, I also built a GIF app, but it's not, you know, um, you're like, you can still have different features. You can still have different, uh, you know, different capabilities. But if you're developing something that's exactly the same, then maybe, yeah, you have, you know, missed the, missed the boat. It, you, I think you want to keep making sure that in anything, in, you know, making money in, in like in keeping a sustainable app in, you know, keeping, making sure that you continue to, you know, stay on top of the, on top of the game and don't lose to all your other competitors. The real kind of solution to that is just, is just to keep thinking about it, keep reassessing, keep coming back to it, keep thinking about it again. It's never, it's never good enough. You know, it's never good enough to just stop. Even if you are just, you know, okay, well, I'll release this update. I'm going to take a couple of months to you know, work on something else. That doesn't mean you stop. That means you keep on, you, you keep on thinking about it. You keep on, you know, uh, you keep on, keep it in the back of your head. You keep it in the front of your head. You keep it in the middle of your head. <laughs> <laughs> keep it somewhere and, uh, in your head. I think we've highlighted something Really important here. App business models are insanely complicated and, th- and this is the industry we both work in and there's so many different ways that you can do things. And, and I guess if there's, if there's a takeaway, it's really that you kind of have to, you have to pick a business model. You kind of have to stick to it and you just have to kind of keep your eyes open and, and see where things go. And I think the, the number one takeaway aside from all that that you don't normally hear is probably don't be oily. <laughs> That's that I think, yeah, don't be oily. That's the best. That's the best advice anybody could give anybody because that's yeah. just that's just gross. I mean, you'll get business advice, you know, five ways to, to Sunday, but don't be oily is something you heard exclusively like, on the show. Do you remember that ad, the peanut butter ad with the the, the Elvis singer <laughs> oh, yes. guy that was like super oily and gross? Yeah. Yes. This could be an Australian only thing. I'm but pretty I'm sure that's an Australian th- only thing. So, for all of the people that responded to me saying that uh, that you know the Wiggles thing wasn't you know wasn't too obscure, 
suck it. <laughs> wow. Telling your listeners to suck it. That's that's a recipe for business success as well. That's how we roll, baby. <laughs> Boom. <laughs>